Welcome to the second anniversary of 5P Healthcare Solutions and Let's Talk Value, a podcast series that discusses how we can deliver better value and more value to the healthcare ecosystem by focusing on outcomes that matter and results that truly matter to the patient and by this deliver value to everybody else in the ecosystem providers, pharmaceutical and life sciences, payers, policymakers, and of course, the patient is what we call the five Ps. As we all know, better and easier said than done because we have a endless cost problem. The headlines are plentiful of skyrocketing cost in healthcare, expensive drugs, greedy payers, greedy physicians maybe, who knows? Sometimes we have some of these headlines too. Anyway, policy and regulators don't get it and uh, etc. So we have all these problems of inefficiencies and hospitals of course also big in the headlines of being not efficient and legacy infrastructure and IT, incompatible IT systems that don't talk to each other. So we actually have full of problems. So how do we get to this value? And this is what I'm very glad to discuss today with everybody having been already on the podium. So should be known entities to the audience on how let's describe what the hurdles are, but also let's describe on how we can break down silos through cooperation across those silos and turn silos into actually integrating entities. So my name is Verena Volter. I'm the CEO and founder of 5P Healthcare Solutions, the boutique consulting firm that tries to do exactly that, help people work together better to derive more value. And my exquisite guests today on the podium, Hannah Boetius, uh, I'm looking at my screen here, Katrin Rupaler, Pascal Deschazeaux, Nicolas Leupin, and Makisa Seri. And maybe we will be joined by a couple of additional integrators later um, as we speak. So without further ado, let me right away turn into a quick tour de table so everybody can also introduce themselves again quickly. Hannah, I think everybody looks to you, <laughs> the most important person of the podium, I think. Um, because you really stand for a patient expert leader. Share with us what your thoughts on, on what really is important to you. Thank you so much. No pressure with that, uh, with that introduction at all. <laughs> uh, I'm Anna Boetis. I am a patient leader for type 1 diabetes. I've lived with it for 37 years this year, and I've seen a lot um, of both healthcare systems because I've lived in different countries, and also living with a chronic condition means that you see a lot of the, the parts of it that you maybe weren't planning on <laughs> seeing either. And I think what, um, what can really be focused on today in order to get things a little bit better um, is really to ask the patient, whether it's through innovation or as a physician um, working with a patient rather than, you know, uh, telling a patient what to do a little bit more you know collaboration I think you're really on to something there Verena so and I'll, and I'll uh, put you back on the spot on around how to collaborate better also with your with your physician and I know you have stories to tell there and what you like to see better but I think Absolutely. staying yeah staying I think that's why we say like no patient no healthcare. but I think this right in the value chain is no patient doctor relationship 
no healthcare. Yes. So let me turn to the two uh, medics here on the podium. Maybe Nicola, if you want to chime in, you know, uh, remembering kind of clinic days and that core that we all strive for deri deriving better patient care through physicians delivering this care. So any thoughts from your end on what, what good outcomes and good results are for patients and from a doctor lens? Sure. Um, I mean, I'm a medical oncologist by training um, and today working in a biotech company and what is driving me is certainly to help designing more efficient trials. Uh, more efficient trials with better outcomes and actually trials that address questions that truly exist and that um, mainly exist for patients to help patients um, into better um, outcomes. And, and I, think, I think Hannah just spoke about that collaboration. I think this is a big need. This is something we're working on. It's not that easy always in an everyday life, right? Um, but I think we're getting closer to that. Perfect. Pascal, do you want to chime in uh, with your very multifaceted views as well on the what is important to patients, doctor-patient relationship? Any thoughts from your end? Yeah, thank you, Verena, and thank you for your efforts raising the need for a better collaboration between the uh, stakeholders of our ecosystem. And by the way, we are all working for the same destiny, uh, the patients, and we work to make their lives uh, their life uh, better and or longer. And as, as you have mentioned in uh, your uh, introductory talk, there are plenty of uh, inefficiencies, inefficiencies in our activities and overall in the healthcare uh, ecosystem. And uh, I, I will put my intervention at, at that level. Uh, you are definitely right. We must work together, better together and we must involve the patients more than we do in all our decisions. I'm talking obviously about healthcare, but also R&D and any decision uh, uh, that will impact them. Um, um, and so on, we must look for uh, new ways uh, uh, considering uh, the way we work with the others. Uh, I will uh, certainly talk later on uh, upon collaborations between uh, industry and uh, academic researchers. There's a lot to be done in that field. Can't wait, <laughs> because I think that's what everybody wants to, to learn. It's like, okay, you know, it sounds all great, but how do I make this work actually in my, in my day job? So maybe to close the, the quick uh, intro toward the tablet, Katrin, from your experience, I mean, you've you've started, you know, with a PharmD degree, but then have been, you know, in regulatory in the industry, but also in clinical, in research, and uh, now you're having a business head on and, you know, accelerating further things in a startup. Any views that you want to share uh, as a start? Yeah, maybe most relevant for the discussion is my experience in regulatory affairs. Um, I have been almost 20 years and uh, in regulatory affairs, right, we work very early with the research, researchers at universities or at the company. Then we work with clinicians, academia to run the trials. Then we work with policymakers like the regulators who need to license the product. And then we go down the route with, uh, you know, talking to payers. And both in the pre-approval setting, but also in the post-approval setting, we also work with patients. So 
right? Uh, in regulatory, we see more or less the whole, we work with the five stakeholders across the value chain. But what, what is very intuitively clear is if we work here and then there, and then with this person, and then with this stakeholder, you know, if we just throw things over the uh, fence, it will not work. So I think it's very clear that if the five stakeholders have common interest, it is so important to start from inception, if you have an idea, like an mRNA vaccine, to continue and work across the five stakeholders along the way, and not in you know, certain steps along the way. So, uh, and we can talk about this more also with Pascal. There are a couple of very good examples how collaboration across the value change through innovation actually leads to good access and value added for patients at the end. Perfect. And I'm sure we can put the chronometer and the timer on when the first data privacy hurdle will occur in the conversation. So I'm very glad to have Nakisa, who is so much more than only, I would say, uh, the legal representative here because she has this broad ecosystem view and has always been very patient and physician-centric in, in her business. So Nakisa, any introductory comments from you before we uh, dive into examples? I, um, I think one of the keys to ensuring that the five stakeholders come together and make progress is making sure that there's um, transparency, clear information that's well understood um, and shared together. And I think in particular, the pharma industry has a lot of opportunity to contribute to making sure that that happens because of the, the talent, the resources um, sitting within the pharma industry. So that partnership between patient and pharma industry is, I think, uh, quite key to the whole um, uh, the whole mission. Anna, any so I'll open it up really. So everybody, please uh, just unmute yourself and chime in uh, whenever you want to want to uh, add to the dialogue here. Uh, but I'm just thinking because Nakisa, you said you know, lend it to the to the patient. I don't know, Hannah, if you have any thoughts. I mean, we obviously have quite. We will have, I guess, quite a research theme here today because I think keeping up innovation is important with our cost issues that we have. So I think ways we know that we have cost issues because we have wasted money that Katrin said, you know, because we throw things over the fence and that's where we get inefficiencies and that's where a lot of the money just disappears. So I think we all want to keep innovation up so that we get better treatments um, for patients. And I know, Hannah, you have uh, some experiences there as well on how to actually make that work to have the patient voice heard more during the innovation process as well. And that is not always easy. And I don't know if you wanna share some of your observations on what has happened in some of your examples where you were trying to work with pharma and then also what are your ideas to overcome it? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, it was a beautiful little, you know, <laughs> little bridge over. I loved it. Um, but yeah, it is not that easy, actually, as a patient to, first of all, be heard. Uh, you were mentioning the, the doctor-patient or physician-patient relationship. Even that, you're just two people, and even that can be a challenge. Never mind, you know, your, your uh, relationship to whatever pharma company is keeping you alive or whatever um, innovator has a solution that could potentially change and enrich your life. It is 
not that easy to be uh, heard and taken seriously, um, which is also partially why I'm completing this master's, <laughs> incidentally. Um, but I think there's a lot that can be improved. There's a lot that can be done. There's a lot being done. But somehow, I also feel that there's a lot of talk and very little workshop in uh, things as soon as it comes to patient centricity every company wants to be on top of that because it is becoming a buzzword at this point much thanks to 5p and and all these things all this work they've been doing too verena um but i i feel like there's very little being done in comparison to what there could be i mean it takes one conversation with a person who actually is living with the condition that you're trying to and you know, make better or, or enhance or, or, or just, just solve one little problem for, it takes one conversation to get that started. And how to find patients who are willing to share social media, for example, is a great point. Maybe I would, maybe not. Uh, today's patient is probably not too affiliated with the patient organizations, but maybe that's just for me and, and those that I, that I that I talk to. But really, you know, find a patient voice and listen to what they have to say, because that is going to be very important. And throughout the whole process, it's not just at the start and, you know, at the end. And yes, we talk to a patient, but actually actively involve them. And uh, yeah, that, that is not maybe met every single time in every single collaboration that I've been a part of. No. <laughs> Anyone wanting to chime in here? No, I think, Anna, you're spot on. In my experience, it very much depends on the indication you're working on. So in some indications, you have very well-organized patient groups. In others, you don't. And, and it has become a buzzword. And, and everyone, I mean, the, there is or there are good intentions, right? Um, it's just sometimes difficult to change things that have been working for the last, what, 50, 40 years, and it's very deeply rooted in, in, in people's mind. I've, I've just made the recent experience that, first of all, it's, it's actually easier than you think to have patients coming in and discussing with you potential um, designs. And then it's even easier to have a project group. So the project group working on a special indication on a study, inviting those people to come and talk to them because it's project driven. And I just made the personal experience that if your organization is organized like a network, more like a network than a silo, then things just flow. Then, you know, people talk and then you have that crosstalk. So I think it's, takes more than a buzzword. It takes more than, you know, just the will or the intention. It will come probably also with a certain reorganization of, 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 of potential of some organization of, of, of some companies. And, and once you, the, the project owns it and it's part of the, you know, the patient is becoming part of the project, then it's a totally different thing then you're just a voice like the 5P. It's like the puzzle that you put together, right? You see the picture when one puzzle, my, my, you know, my daughter was, was putting together a puzzle the other uh, day and there was that little piece missing. So she knew it was a tiger, but it was not a tiger. 
And I tried to explain to her, well, but it's almost a tiger, right? It got lost. Yeah, no, it's not a tiger. And she was right, it's not a tiger, right? The, the, that, that piece was missing. And, and as long as we miss that piece, you know, the, the, the designs and the studies will be as good as that and not better. So I think it's possible, but it will take a bit more than good intentions. So what I'm hearing you say, Nicholas, is actually two great points. One is the you need to think of it. You need to be part, you need to make it part, you know, from only having it on the wall as an intent, uh, patient centricity. And I think there's probably no company or nor no hospital that doesn't have that in their, you know, in their uh, vision to be patient centric. But I think you need to actually integrate it, and that's the keyword I wanted to bring up here is in the workflow. So it needs to be part of your day job to kind of, and it reminds me, Pascal, in our um, podcast last year, you said something, we actually should have it mandatory to have a 5P advisory board since the very first day in the very first inception of our ideas for a clinical trial and a new asset in a certain disease and almost make that in our workflow. And to your point, Nicholas, when we have these project teams and it's standard of procedure of doing that and making it a habit. Yeah. And then you, I liked what you said. It's actually not so difficult to do it. It's actually easy. But as you said, for 30 years, we have never been doing it. So it's a question of routine and workflows. And I think this is the beauty of when we listen to Michael Porter and other scholars on value-based healthcare, they say, that's the only single beauty of value-based healthcare and putting outcomes first because it galvanizes teamwork automatically. So I think it's these two steps. You need to think of it. It needs to be in your intent and then just take a practical action very simply in a network or in a workshop or in a, like you say, in your company. Well, as of tomorrow, it's a new SOP. It's a new way of working. We always do it this way and then you know get organized but anybody else wants to chime in on how on examples maybe on how this practically works just to organize workflows yes. differently yes uh, i would like to give you an example i've said that we have something in common all of us who are working for patients but also we're working with data all of them all of us who are working on data and let me give you an example to see how we could have reconciled reconciled um, the patients and the data uh, I used to work for different pharma companies. In one of them, I was in charge of a business unit dealing with antibiotics. And we observed that uh, sales were pretty bad uh, in the uh, elderly patients for one of these antibiotics. And uh, somebody uh, suddenly understood that the reason for that is that we had developed uh, uh, that big pill a two gram antibiotic for elderly patients that were that were, that was impossible to 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 be swallowed by this uh, population, and uh, it would have been that simple. Uh, 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 getting together uh, with a number of elderly patients, asking them, "Would you be able to swallow such a big pill?" The answer would have been no. Would have. Um, uh, uh, made uh, a true different uh, uh, product and that would have been both efficient and cost-effective. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, this highlights the fact that uh, we need more information, more information from the final users and at all uh, parts of the value chain, 
bit for R&D and, and uh, um, the care uh, journey. And uh, yes, my point is that uh, it is, first of all, um, a cultural uh, uh, thing, but it starts with the management decisions. And uh, my invitation is for all company CEOs in healthcare to uh, decide or make uh, mandatory for all internal stakeholders working more closely with patients. That means having those um, patient boards at all steps where a decision has to be made that will finally impact the patients. That, that simple doesn't cost a lot, but it can make a big change in the lives of the patients who are working for. And that's truly cost-effective for the companies. So it's a really a matter of culture. And uh, meanwhile, it's a matter of top management. Verena, can I ask Hannah a question? <laughs> um, I wanted to ask Hannah, what is your experience working, you know, you, you had touched on industry and, and physicians, but what is your experience working with payers? How open are payers to patient feedback? Um, how uh, are there platforms where you can connect with payers? Because my question is, I have worked, uh, I'm still working a lot in policy uh, as well in Europe, and it is extremely difficult to talk policy with, um, with payers. Even for the large private public partnerships like the Innovative Medicines Initiative uh, sponsored by the European Commission, payers are not part. So we have four Ps, but the five P is always missing even in big and large government-backed, uh, you know, public-private uh, partnerships. So I wanted to get a little bit of a feeling from you how, you know, how easy it is for you to work with, with payers. Um, that's a really great question. And I think if you have a platform where I can connect to more payers, please let me know, because this would be very interesting for me. Um, but for me personally, I don't, it, it's a very much one-way communication. It's from the payers. They, they basically have the, the end uh, say of what treatments that I would actually benefit from, they are going to cover or not. Um, and this is, of course, this, this goes into so many of the P's anyway. It's not just a reimbursement. It's not just a payer thing. It's also, you know, policy. What do we say is okay for, for example, type 1 diabetic to, to use? What is... Um, you know, how much is reasonable, how little is minimum, you know, all of these things, it goes uh, so much further than, than just, quote unquote, uh, the payer, but there needs to be more, a lot more communication, uh, because it seems like certain decisions, and this is not just about me personally, this is also from other people, but a lot of the decisions are also based on some algorithm pay payment algorithm that don't really has no real world anchorage it does it isn't really you know rooted in the real world it's more okay well we could save this amount of money here so this patient then does not get this treatment um, or this 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 helpful tool that will make their everyday life easier uh, so there needs to be a lot more communication and i think there are a ton of patients who are ready to have this conversation, but I'm wondering how many payers are willing to have a uh, sit down and listen to it. 
Um, so yeah, I, and I have met absolutely individual people working at insurances and then payers in payer um, sort of positions that are very interested in hearing, but it's still on an individual basis and not on a uh, sort of all over, all reaching uh, level. Hannah, you have said partnership, but are you sure that payers are really considered as partners by the other uh, members of the ecosystem of the five peers? That, that's for me uh, obvious that they are conceived as a constraint than more than an opportunity for partnership. And there, there should be a big change. Uh, it's yeah. not only communicating, it's the mode of communication from both sides. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's a really, really good point that you're bringing up. Um, because as I said, right now, it is a very much one-way communication. And this can absolutely be improved from both, uh, from uh, both the payer perspective uh, or the payer side, but also the other ones. If we are five Ps and we're working on collaborating together, then all of us should also contribute and not be a dictating uh, force in that way. I don't necessarily agree with, with with your views in the way that I think during the COVID crisis, for the very first time, we saw payers reaching out to certain companies or regulators reaching out um, to certain companies or even patients reaching out to certain companies. So all of a sudden, you know, what used to be a sort of ping pong game or a one-way communication, as you were saying, Anna, changed. And I think it changed because all of a sudden there was one common threat. There was one big thing. We all knew what the, what I would call the, you know, the target patient, if you allow me that, that wording, you know, the, the one that we want to, to treat looked like. And, and since it was a pandemic, the money um, aspect was perceived in a completely different way. And to some extent, I just don't want to believe that that was a one thing story, you know, just tell. Um, and it must be possible to change this drastically. I'm just, I'm not sure to have the answer so far. What exactly was different? Probably because it was a pandemic, probably because all of a sudden governments became aware of different dangers. And all of a sudden, uh, that was then the driver. But if you look at diabetes, you know, this is exactly the same. If you look at cancer overall, we just come out of ASCO, this is a huge threat. So maybe governments need to um, become a bit more aware of certain, of certain threat, threats. So what, what, what you're describing, Nicolas, with COVID is what putting on my like negotiation coach head um, is the galvanizing common ground of a common purpose. So what COVID has helped all of us across silos is we don't need to think about the common purpose because it's there. It's like the fire in the house, the house is, you know, the rooftop is burning. So we don't even have to think about what the purpose is because the yeah. rooftop is on, on fire. So I think what is up to us and that's what we're doing here. And that's what all of us do in our day jobs as being integrators out there is like, that is our job. It's like, we need to replicate that house on fire 
and need to speak about it. So that takes that extra effort. We need to create that common burning platform so that we can all agree in what that purpose is. And I think we see it in many places. And I know that Pascal and Katri are probably burning to share some of those partnership models that actually work. And I'll, I'll open it in a, in a little bit to share those examples of partnerships that actually do work. But I wanted to also respond to um, Katrin and Hannah around the pair because in my personal experience now working much more across silos and across all those ecosystems, there's two things. And the number one that is true always, it comes down to people. So it's like you need to find that one lead, but in a leadership position, that one decision maker at a payer, at an insurance, at a policy framework that actually has that view automatically, genuinely, and that you can start building something because every single change project has started like this. Just two people sitting at a table, maybe at a bar or maybe at a conference and they have an idea and they follow up. And the second piece I wanted to give just concrete examples. So for people in the audience, maybe from the Germanic uh, environment. So in Germany, there are two pairs, namely the AOKA and the Technica Krankenkasse. They are leading phenomenal projects that are real value-based healthcare collaboration projects. They put the patient at the center. So it's actually happening. In Switzerland, which I think many of us are, are based, we have, I don't know, Nicholas, up to 100 health plans. I stopped counting at some point, but for yeah, 8 million people. I wouldn't dare um, say so for eight, any number. For 8 million people in 26 cantons, we have over 100 health plans. And that's a whole other topic for another podcast on fragmentation, because that's a structural problem. And this is where we need politics and policymaker to get, kind of get rid of this, because otherwise, this is another topic. But to say among these 100 health plans, I can tell you there are at least five that I spontaneously can think of, and I'm not going to do promotion and advertising here for health plans, but there are existing health plans that are doing things differently. So it is kind of getting to know who those players are and start working with them. And that would be my plead also for the audience. It's like, stop talking about the FDA or stop talking about the European Commission because it doesn't exist. There are people behind and let's say the health plans, like in your, for the payer, in your scope, where you live, in your region or in your work, really find out who those companies are that maybe are a little bit more innovative and risk-taking and then try to find out people, people who are working there and try to meet them. And it's because that is the other really tough part that obviously here also with the 5P Corporation Forum that we're kicking off, we are creating that platform because the question is, well, but I don't know these payers, I don't work with them and that's really hard. Or let's say, you know, I don't know anybody at the FDA or, you know, I don't know the hospital leaders. How do I get to know them? So obviously that's our contribution also from 5P Healthcare Solutions. We want to create that almost database of names so that you know who can you actually call. But that is, I think, a very important piece to make it very specific. And then just go to the single 1% of different entity and company and leader and engage in a conversation. And they often run, and I'm always citing FDA, they run open public workshops on topics, on new endpoints for clinical trials, on digital health regulations, and they are open. And often we don't go there. And, you know, because we're so in our transactional throw over the fence type of workflow, 
that we don't think creatively and say, oh, maybe let me just go to this forum and this consortium and just sit in and then have the courage and go up to the podium and start engaging in a dialogue with one of the panelists on the podium. So I think that is these two things. It's just kind of getting to know and see where, where the examples are. Um, any other uh, thoughts around pairs before we maybe chime into discussing a little bit what real partnership projects uh, could look like? And I, I think, also, Marina, yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please. I, I think, you know, your example is really on point because how many patients even have that information? And, and how many patients know where to look to find that information to understand that there's an opportunity, even if you find a patient who has the courage and the time to do so. Um, and that's where I think, you know, physicians and, and the industry, the pharma industry could help with information flow. Um, and also obviously patient organizations. Um, but I think um, there's a lot of opportunity to break down some of these silos and get the information um, uh, in the hands of, of people who can make a difference and think outside the box and start to create those bridges over time. And, and, I, and I actually believe that um, pharma companies are interested in doing so. I think they, there is a real desire to try to impact in a positive way uh, change within the healthcare system because everybody sees how, how fragile it is. And you, Nakisa, in the intro round spoke about transparency and information. I think there's also something for everybody uh, across the ecosystem to be more proactive in proposing information and a little bit more broadly and not only maybe in the silo of the product you wanna sell or in your hospital to you know advertise for your hospital but maybe you know is there more that you can deliver to help this group of patients with that disease or in that region that you're serving maybe as a payer does anybody want to share maybe ideas on on how that more proactive approach with collaborations work well i mean you and i have worked on a project where we had you know, the companies that came together and partnered with different physicians in order to find solutions. And, um, and it took some time to set up a charter where everybody felt safe and comfortable to come to the table and share openly. But once you can create that environment, that venue and sort of the rules of um, uh, engagement, then I think you can create a really powerful venue to share information and, and, to, and to move the needle. Um, but it, it requires individuals from each of the different organizations and you need physicians who have the time and, and the ability to participate and also lend their voice to it um, uh, to, to make that happen. And I think uh, to the extent that we can continue these conversations and, and provide these examples where people understand that this actually works, uh, that will happen more and more. I think Nikita, just just to, to to jump on what you just said, I think the safe environment um, is extreme. That, that's absolutely essential in any partnership. Um, again, I'm sorry to take um, this example of COVID, but that was a time where companies really worked together. That was a time where, you know, physicians from universities called us with the latest results. And we just had 
a sort of an agreement that that would you know sort of not leave that room and that was that understanding of safe room and that moved the needle that helped us moving um forward and i think i think what was different during COVID times is that it was less bureaucratic people didn't need 20 pages cdas and you know you know what i'm talking about right um I think, I think, and we just had an example the other day, I think this can slow down the process and, and we need to find solutions to somehow find common ground just in an easier way. Yeah, um, I also think, you know, it's important to find pragmatic solutions for the collaboration. So, of course, it would be wonderful if all five stakeholders would be at the same table, but I think um, maybe that's not always possible and having, you know, two stakeholders or three stakeholders at the table and having a dialogue is already a, a big achievement. And uh, for example, I'm looking at the EU NETA and EMA parallel scientific advice. It's the second pilot that they are kicking off in June this year, so that we have a payer network in Europe working with the European Medicines Agency. And then, of course, the third party in it is the pharmaceutical industry. So we already have a platform with this parallel advice and joint advice procedure that they have just established where at least we have three parties talking about science and how we can translate it in a treatment for patients that makes, you know, provides value to patients. So I also think, you know, like is we have to be pragmatic. It doesn't have to be a big solution for everything. Having, you know, like is maybe two to three stakeholders at the same time. And then also starting with pilots, right? We don't have to, you know, like is solve the problem. If we try to solve, you know, like is the world's problem, it will be very difficult. But to solve one problem, you know, a specific problem in diabetes, for example, and then see, you know, does this work? And if it's work, can we transfer this concept to another area? So I think that will also be important. We have to be pragmatic how we work together. Uh, uh, I would say it's it's a matter of organization and, and management, as I said before, but uh, um, five P's are much more about uh, goodwill and, and mindset. And uh, I remember uh, a company in, in which uh, you, Verena and Katrin worked uh, together. And the time, uh, at the time uh, I was the general manager of, of uh, of a big academic uh, organization in, in clinical research and uh, one big success. And uh, I, can, uh, I can assure you that it was in, in full independence from both organizations, was uh, gathering a number of people from our teams who'd never been in touch uh, with each other that worked uh, exclusively uh, through mails, sometimes for phone calls, but absolutely no clue about the person behind the role and, uh, and email gathering uh, together uh, on uh, a site outside our organizations for one or two days and working on science, working on, on um, R&D projects. 
uh, having a beer together or a cup of coffee, that was a great success because it, and, and, uh, uh, and the, the success came from, from the company, I can name, I can name it because uh, I think they were pioneers in that field will say Jean. It was a different uh, change in the mindset of the people. Uh, again, with different missions. We were a non-profit organization, Selgin, like pharma companies, uh, are for profit. There was absolutely no compromise in, the, in those missions, but we worked with the same goal of transforming uh, a treatment promise into a, a treatment that would impact the lives of, of the people. And that was very sincere. It was really uh, uh, the common goal. And I think it starts there. And again, it started from top management or from people uh, like, like Verena, uh, who understood that there was a big change uh, uh, that could be obtained from uh, that transformation. So, yeah, and beside that, yes, we can, we can organize things differently. I said, uh, uh, there shouldn't be any pharma company uh, now without one or several uh, patient boards. They have plenty of scientific advisory boards, um, strategic boards, whatever, but who is central in the process? Again, it's the patient. So it's simple, it's not costly. It can bring you a lot of information. It can uh, add data to your decisions. So you can avoid a lot of bias because I, I do consider that by not having that holistic view over uh, the ecosystem and all the sources of data we are taking all the day in most of our uh, um, organizations, some kind of biased decisions. So again, uh, mindsets, goodwill, and uh, also organization and, and management. It just um, reminds me to the example you're giving and, and I'll maybe make it a little bit specific for the audience because again, A, it's 10 years old. I think there's not a ton of confidentiality around this, but the bottom line is don't take no for an answer. And I think this is why we need the leaders and the decision makers to when we, because this is very disruptive what we're talking about here because people are very you know comfortable in their silos they get they paid personally get their paycheck every month pretty much and you know what is the need to change and human beings we're all the same it's tough for us to change and get out of our habits i mean everybody who tried quit smoking at some point or go on a diet and lose some weight we, we know how hard this is so this is how it feels right doing things differently here but we all know we we don't have a choice because costs are rising and we have to change but pascal to the example that you're saying you already mentioned so it was a company and it was a non-for-profit academic research organization and when we first in the company and by the way there are at least two other three other people here in the round who were involved in this somehow but um so we said okay we want to set up this new clinical trial with this new medicine for lymphoma patients it's really promising and here was the world expert group that pascal was leading at the time from an academic perspective and they had a great track record on enrolling patients fast and efficiently and asking really important questions that change uh, treatment and standard of care for those patients with absolutely phen phenomenal outcomes and survival benefits so there was no question not to work with this group and you had very clear ideas to say, well, you need to sponsor this trial. And then the answer in the company was, no, we can't do that. 
So we could have left it there. And I guess the product probably would not have been developed for, for this disease. So maybe it's because I was young and naive in the company, just coming from, you know, academia and saying, I have nothing to lose. I'm just going to push the envelope. So I kind of knocked on several doors in the company and say, hey, is there ways we can make this work? And all of a sudden, people started to be creative and say, okay, let's think beyond a no. And yes, we have never done this. We've never done an important trial with an academic group because that is a real partnership across silos, pharma and, and provider. And then all of a sudden people became excited about being part of building something new. So if we can you know, engage our environment into and instill that energy and that enthusiasm of innovation and creativity, which is sitting in all of us and all of our no-sayers around us, we just need to find that fire to lit it. And eventually, long story short, we found we created the ways in terms of you know regulatory environment and quality assurance and pharmacovigilance and legal and contracts and you know royalty payments and everything that is part of a big business deal. We actually worked through this, as you said, Pascal. We just went offside. We brainstormed. The purpose was there. So our burning house was there. And we wanted to make it work with creativity. But it takes that first, just don't take no for an answer and, and try. And that, you know, not everybody can afford this all the time. But anybody else on, the, and I know we are almost getting to uh, the end of our time here. But any other thoughts? I think we already mentioned a lot around transparency, sharing information, goodwill, management, uh, listening, doing things differently in our workflow and really plan for patient boards early on. Any other thoughts on cooperation across silos? Well, uh, you know my, uh, my vision, right, Verena, about the chief patient officer that every single, every single company that has anything to do with patients should have a chief patient officer. And whether that is a startup or an old established big pharma or, you know, uh, even a small clinic even technically should have someone who is on the side of the patients. And yes, this is a very, very biased opinion, I know, but <laughs> I know this would have really helped me in many cases to have someone to turn to that I know will see what I'm trying to achieve and what I'm going for. And yeah, I think this, uh, yeah, and it goes hand in hand with what Pascal was saying with the patient boards, that is absolutely also in a, a step in, in the same direction. So yeah, more patient voices, I think, are needed everywhere. You have one of the best uh, jobs in the world, Hannah. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> but I think what you're describing with your example, A, it's disruptive idea because it, to my knowledge, doesn't exist yet. So in the audience, if somebody has a CPO in their organization, please tell us and we'll ship you a, a, a box of champagne. <laughs> um, and but why not right it's like why why what we're discussing here is how to can we bring what we write the buzzword on our walls patient centricity and how to integrate it in our workflows so in our governance and our structure and that's what we're discussing here to make it real and you know what let's see who the first company is that will have a cpo on their board so we just created it Send us a job description, um, Hannah, we'll distribute it. 
very nice almost closing words but i want to make sure we'll uh we'll we'll close off again along the value chain so patients receiving care doctors delivering care pharma developing care payer paying for care and regular policy regulating that care so hannah you kicked it off maybe nicholas and pascal some last words and then katrin nakisa and then we'll close it out I'll go first if that is okay, Pascal. So very humbling experience with Anna. Uh, you know, this patient, this chief patient officer, I'll take that home. I think this is a wonderful idea, seriously. Because the, the, I think the biggest issue is you don't know what you don't know. And sometimes you just need someone to open up your eyes. And you think you know, but you have actually no idea. And, and this, 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 your idea of that patient officer, chief patient officer, I have to say I like it very much. So great learning and great home take home message for me. Thank you. Um, I've seen one or two of these uh, positions in, 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 in one or two companies. So uh, I will send the, uh, the proof to uh, Verena and get a bottle of champagne. But uh, yeah, it's sending a message to uh, to the company uh, uh, overall uh, that the patient now is a newcomer in the ecosystem is not new. He's uh, been there for, for, for a long time, but uh, uh, he or she has a, a central role uh, to play in the development of, uh, of uh, new therapies and new um, uh, treatment strategies and uh, overall in the, uh, in the care journey. So yeah. Um, uh, yeah, thank you, uh, Verena, for highlighting this uh, uh, this transformation of the ecosystem. It, uh, and I think the uh, and the COVID crisis uh, mentioned by Nicholas has been a, an accelerator, or is an opportunity for an acceleration in that uh, respect, as in many dimensions. So let's hope that uh, we'll see new uh, new ideas and new uh, concrete uh, realizations from uh, from the actors of the ecosystem. And I think from my perspective, I love what you said about people and uh, you are absolutely right, right? Is we cannot just say it's difficult, it's difficult and it takes efforts, but it's also up to us to make the difference. So yeah, good, good reminder that, you know, like is uh, we need to keep going and we need to keep, uh, you know, challenging the system and it's just not give in or resign into these are the issues we cannot do anything anyhow. So thank you for reminding us. Yeah, I um, I also, you know, my main takeaway uh, in listening to everybody is we need to persist and we need to not underestimate the access to um, uh, vision and perspective that we have from whatever our our chair, wherever our chair is. Um, and so oftentimes we assume and we take uh, for granted the way that people are thinking about issues and problems, and we need to have more engagement, more communication, and sharing to be able to shift each other's perspectives and educate each other. If I may, you know, I just had the last idea, you know, don't take no as an answer is for me also the big, the big sentence today, and you, you beautifully showed it. I just hope that my kids will never watch this show here, and they take my no as an answer, but that's something else. 
<laughs> this is fabulous. Thank you. Thank you very much for everybody. And thank you for the audience for listening. Reach out to this wonderful experts here on the podium. They're there for you. We'll post their contact details. So don't be shy and don't take no for an answer. Bye-bye. Thank you, Verena. Thank you, Verena. Thank you.